Shalom, everyone. Shalom. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about uh, issues that are related to sex, marriage, celibacy, separation, divorce, remarriage. And today, suddenly, we come to this portion of the scripture in 1 Corinthians that uh, seems to be a completely another topic. But we'll see that this is somewhat related to the previous topics. But Paul is also addressing some new issues that he perceived in the church of Corinth. And I've titled the message for today, A Call to Contentment. A Call to Contentment. And you can see right away that somehow this whole matter of contentment is related to the whole issue regarding whether you should be a single person or a married person. What about a person who is separated or divorced? What should these individuals do? And Apostle Paul would basically say, be content with your present situation. But today he introduces two other issues that's obviously um, part of the problems in the church of Corinth. And that is the issue of circumcision. And another issue is that of slavery. So we'll talk about that today. So let us begin with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. Let's read this text out loud together. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Amen. Amen. What we see in this short text, in three different verses, we see Paul emphasizing the necessity to stay content. In verse 17, he says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Whatever situation they find themselves presently in, don't try to change that so much, but be content with that. In verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And in verse 24, Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. 
remaining content in the present situation, staying put, having a positive attitude, having a proactive perspective of things. Instead of constantly roaming around, constantly getting distracted by where to go, what to do, what to look forward to. And Paul says, be content in the place that God has placed you in. And this is based upon what? Paul says that it has to be based upon God's calling upon your life. God's unique mandate upon your life. He's not just saying haphazardly, just stay put. He's saying according to the calling of God that is upon you. Besides, more important than our position or status or our situation is how we live out our lives as believers. Bearing the testimony of Christ unto others. That's what this is about. I think verse 17 just sums it up really well. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them. Just as God has called them. And then he says, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. And then he gives two examples in which he applies this principle of contentment. First is in the case revolving around circumcision. Verses 18 and 19. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Obviously, there were some libertinistic-minded people once again, who are saying, now we are free in the Lord. And so if we are free in the Lord, let us be freed from all kinds of baggages of Jewish customs that we are accustomed to. Perhaps these were Jews who were converted. Perhaps these men were already circumcised. And so they say, now we are free in the Lord And I hate this mark. I hate this tattoo that has been cut into my body. And I want to undo that. I want to undo my circumcision. To be honest, I didn't know that you could uncircumcise. (laughs) But even in the first century Roman Empire, there was that tendency to uncircumcise through certain surgeries. You You could imagine the crude surgical methodology in those days, and they were willing to undergo that. Why? Because they didn't want to be stigmatized as a Jew. For example, like the gladiators who would fight in the arena naked. If you're a Jew, you would be definitely marked, and everyone would see that, and therefore they would undergo surgeries to undo that. Whatever the situation may be, Apostle Paul says, don't do that. That's not the important thing anymore. And then there were those who were perhaps influenced by some Judaizers. There were people who were usually sent from Jerusalem or those who really felt that they need to maintain the Jewish culture because Jesus was a Jew and the original apostles were Jews. So therefore, we should be Jewish first and then Christian. And they were going on saying, 
you need to be circumcised. You need to also abide by the Old Testament laws. Yes, we have Christ, but we also need to abide by the scripture that was known to Christ that is known to us. That was before the New Testament was canonized, before we had the 27 books of the New Testament Bible. Only scripture they had was the Old Testament. And Paul says, no, that's not the important thing. Circumcision is no longer valid. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for us. And now he's demanding that we enter into a new covenant. Covenant that has with our hearts conversion. And the sign for that is baptism. Go through the baptism and identify with my death and my resurrection. That would be sufficient for you. So no more is circumcision necessary for us today. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. And Paul is emphasizing the fact that what is important is the life of obedience to God's command. It's not ritualism. It's not asceticism. It's not symbolism. It's not any of this. The most important thing is the practical application of God's words in our lives and hearing what Christ has to say to our hearts and obeying that. That's what really matters. And I think we can say a big amen to that. Amen? Amen. Then the second issue he brings up is that issue of slavery, which was a common phenomenon in those days. Some half of the population of Roman Empire belonged to the class of slaves. It's not like that today. Since the abolitionist movement of the 18th and 19th century, and after the war that happened in the United States, you know, the war between North and South, a civil war, and the primary agenda of that civil war is to abolish slavery forever. But Paul was not living in those days. The Corinthians were not in that context. And so being a slave was okay. Paul didn't have a a real major problem, issue over that. That was not his agenda. His agenda was to deliver the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Getting people saved, having them entering into the kingdom of God. That was their primary agenda. Not so much changing of the social structure. So we need to understand the context of Paul's writings. Having said that, now let's read from verses 21 to 23. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let this trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price, so do not become slaves of human beings. Once again, they were those libertinistic-minded people who were saying, now we are set free in the Lord, so let's literally make that happen. I don't want to be a slave anymore. I want to be a freed man. And so they would try to force that. They might even rebel against their masters, or they might uh, try to gain some kind of momentum, create some kind of movement, a revolt, 
Of course, in Roman Empire, that would have been impossible because they were all enslaved to Rome in the first place. But they were saying, we need to be free from slavery. And this is what Paul had to say. He was saying something very practical. If you can gain their freedom, do so. If you can buy your way out, do so. Because you know, you could pay your way so that you can be a freedman. If you have special favor from your master who's willing to set you free after a number of years, like the Jewish concept of jubilee, then gain that freedom. But don't let that be the priority for your life. Don't get so anxious, don't get so agitated by the fact that you have the slave status. Rather, he says that the testimony in Christ, in whatever situation that you may be in, that's the most important thing. It does not matter what status you are. Now, how does that apply to us today? I guess we can say that it doesn't really matter what you're doing, even though the society about us and our parents and those who love us want us to rise in rank and be promoted and having a great job, having a great future and all. But in Christ, that's not the priority. The priority, once again, is the calling of God, the assignment of God, and the placement of God in that given situation. And if you are in that situation that's given to you by the Lord, then you should be completely content with that. Are you stuck with the family? Are you a housewife? With children that you have to look after? Even though you have a great vision, even though you have a sense of a great calling, but you're stuck. You're not stuck. That's the assignment that Christ is giving you. Are you stuck with a job that you don't like and you're discontented because of low pay, mistreatment, discrimination? Whatever it may be, if God has placed you there for that season and time, you have to be fully compliant to that. Our ministry situation as well. There are so many ministers who are changing their minds constantly after every few years. And I would always say to them, when I counsel them, whatever you decide, whether it's pastoring, whether it's a missions work, whether it's, be, it's teaching in a seminary, working for Christian organization, whatever it may be, at least be faithful for the first three years. And if you can be faithful for something like seven to ten years, then you have proven yourself. You're not just roaming about, window shopping, and looking over the fence into other people's ministries. All these wishful thoughts would be vain if you understood the principle of contentment and faithfulness in the given tasks. So what Paul is saying is that, okay, slaves, you may have the status of a slave. You don't have the literal, physical freedom to do what you want to do. 
But actually, you are truly free before the sight of the Lord. Why? Because your sores are liberated. Your identity is restored. You have a complete sense of esteem, no matter how badly people treat you. You can be content with that. Well, today, for the past two years, we've been kind of stuck in a situation that just came upon us. The pandemic has forced us to be locked in, to be isolated, not being able to travel, not being able to do whatever we want, not to just freely enjoy our vacation. The luxuries that we took for granted now is no more. And so many Christians are complaining about that. I think at least the first year they were. I think in this second year of training, I call it sort of like the desert training, that the whole body of Christ is going through and the whole body of humanity is going through. We're slowly coming to, hey, this can linger on. We need to get ready for the long haul. Yeah, maybe we can deal with COVID-19, but there may be different types of COVID. Viruses are constantly mutating, you know, with technology, with, with medicine. Well, the viruses are smart. That's the way they survive, by mutating, by evolving. And so we're going to have to deal with that. I'm not saying that we stay passive and say, okay, I guess we just have to spend this prison time here. You know, This is the term that's given to me. I'm, I'm stuck here. And let's see, let's wait until God liberates us. I'm not saying that we should operate with that kind of passive mentality. But that we should maximize our time. Find creative ways to grow in Christ, and to help others out. We can do that plentifully. So, are you a slave, or are you a freed man, a free woman? It all depends. It's a choice. Paul says we are free in the Lord. That's how Christ sees us. He does not see us as slaves. He sees us as freed people of God. I have my own personal issue. I'm in my 60s, so I'm older than all of you. And uh, just recently, I became sort of sensitively aware that people around me treat me like as though I'm already gone. <laughs> you know, and when they hear that uh, by the end of next year, I'll be retiring, or they go, oh, I see. Now we can just erase the name of Daniel Kim from our roster. That's their mentality. They don't give a hoot about me. Because all the young ones are rising into positions, into ministry, into activities. The old ones, we should go out to the pasture and just eat off of the grass in the field. <laughs> As though I'm going to buy that. You know? And what is the retirement age? 55 in some countries, here like 65 or 70, that's relatively young. We say that we are living in the century when people can 
if they keep their health and if they truly take care of themselves, they can live up to 100. And yet the society has not complied to that. The society makes a judgment about old people. And we have such a huge concentration of people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s here in Korea. And we're sending a message. We're giving them the vibe like you are good for nothing. Just when we, with all our experiences, with all the wisdom that we have, we could make contribution to the society, the society says, we don't want you, we don't need you. We're going to upgrade you and replace you with others. Now, this is, not a, this is not something that I have a choice. I'm stuck in my 60s. And then when I enter into 70s, I'll be stuck in that age bracket. So what am I going to do? Look back to my days of the 20s or the 30s or the 40s or the 50s? Not so. I need to learn contentment and true sense of meaning and significance within my age bracket. And so just recently I've been you know, very much interested in all kinds of people, sometimes celebrities and pastors and missionaries who have entered into their 60s and 70s. Those, those are my, my peers, my colleagues. And I see a lot of wonderful testimonies, wonderful, wonderful creative ministries coming forth from them. People who still have the vision because they're not allowing the society to tell them what they are and what they are not. And especially these Christian leaders, they're hearing what God has to say. Many of them have a sense of mission. A lot of people actually become missionaries after they retire. So are you a slave to your situation, slave to your location, slave to that place of devotion? Are you a slave to your age? Are you a slave to your gender? Of course, we are in one sense because we cannot change that. But we are truly free in the Lord and we can maximize our situation if we can be positive about this matter. And then Apostle Paul says, yes, you may be free. You may be free to do so many things. You don't feel bound. You don't feel limited. You don't feel restricted. So you feel like you're a, a bird in the sky. You can soar into the heights. But even you, the Lord says, you may think you're free, but you're really a slave to Jesus Christ. And perhaps Paul is reminding all these libertinistic-minded folks in the church of Corinth, we're all slaves of Christ. We cannot just do whatever we want. The important thing is doing what Christ has called us to do. That's the important thing. And then he reminds them that we do not belong to anyone or anything and we should not become slaves of human beings. He's not saying here, obviously, in context, that he's advocating abolitionism. 
What he's saying is we should not be slaves to the human system, human way of thinking, human ideology. And those of you who have who've been saying, oh, we align ourselves to Paul and uh, some to Apollos and, and to Peter and we have our Christ party here. That kind of mentality is the way of the flesh. And don't be influenced by that. Don't be influenced by the party spirit. And the libertinists were saying, uh, uh, we can do everything, free for all, sex, even incest. We can, we can sue at will. And Paul says, that's mindset of the world. You're a slave to the human system, human mindset. Don't do that. And then there were those legalists who, who set up their own legalism. Yes, celibacy. They highly elevate that and they parade that. Or circumcision. They are so proud and arrogant about it. Or non-circumcision. And Paul says all these are ways we become slaves of human system. Human way of thinking. So Paul is advocating what is true freedom and true contentment in Christ. And let me give you a summary as to what Paul is saying here based upon this text. He's saying that first of all, our hearts, our minds should be firm and steady in the present situation. We need to be grounded in the reality of the present moment. It's constantly free-floating, constantly in the clouds somewhere. Constantly hopping around, distracted in our minds. And literally, in the Buddhist discipline of contemplation, they talk about so many people having monkey mind. You know what a monkey mind is? Monkey mind is having all our thoughts scattered, like the monkeys jumping from one tree to another. Like You watch monkeys actively... At play, you, you get dizzy. Whoa, whoa, what is it about? Hopping from it, hopping from it, there, this. They can't seem to be settled in their present situation. Always anxious, always discontent, always despairing, always wanting something else and never getting them. So Paul says we should be content in the present moment, the given situation, even the given status. Okay, so the society may say that you're a slave. Okay, the society has said that you belong to that bracket of the retiree. What does that matter? We should simply operate according to our call and commission, what God has assigned us, what what Christ is saying to us. That's the important thing. Then we can just humbly and faithfully be in submission to Christ's will. And we should always be mindful that our attitudes, our actions, our behaviors are testimonial to others. It has a way of manifesting what Christianity is about to others. We need to be aware of that. If we are anxious, if we are discontented, if we are not settled, and then we say we are Christian, what do the people of the world see about us? Ah, they're no different from people of the world. They're anxious, they're discontented, they're unhappy, 
They're always depressed and down. That is a bad testimony unto the world. And so Paul says, we do not belong to anyone or anything. We have been bought at a price of Jesus' precious blood. That's how precious we are. We belong to Jesus. And if we belong to Jesus, do not belong to man. We do not belong to the worldly system. And we should also be mindful that all that we do are actually ways we testify to others about our faith in Christ. But Paul did say, if it is possible, be free from your situation. So we need to be flexible at times. When we are given that opportunity, we don't need to deny that. When something better is given to us, handed to us, and we see evidently this is the hand of grace of God, we shouldn't be arrogant and say, no, we don't want that. I, I go through the hard time. I choose this path of celibacy, or I choose this path of poverty, or I choose this path of slavery. We don't need to do that. That's stupidity. We need to be commonsensical about this. And learn to be flexible. Learn to adapt. Learn to change. So that if we can better our situations, do so. And that's exactly what happened in the late 18th and into the 19th century with the abolitionist movement. They really felt like this is something that they can be done in their days. And they did that. And they gained liberation for the slaves in America, in England, and other countries. Final thing I think Paul wanted to say was that we need to be utterly convicted about our freedom in Christ. Freedom not to get distracted. Freedom not to get scatterbrained. Freedom not to be discontented. Freedom in Christ no longer enslaved by human insistence. We should truly be free. If we look at Jesus' life as well, you would think like Jesus was the most free man in every sense of the term. And he was free in the Holy Spirit. He was free in his love relationship with the Father. He was free because of the great commission that he had received. But did you know that Jesus lived for 30 years in that little town of Nazareth, working as a, a carpenter or mason? The term is tecton, which simply means a builder. He's a craftsman, just having a job, taking care of his widowed mom and his siblings, bringing in the dough, placing food on the table, caring for the household needs, fixing their house, cleaning their yards, and being faithful in everything, the family life, synagogue life, life in the streets, life in the workplace. There was nothing fantastic about Jesus in this regard. 
And some people don't like that. They want to magnify Jesus by saying that maybe Jesus, during those silent years, we don't know what happened, but there are legends, there are the myths of Jesus traveling to India and, and to Tibet and to Himalayas, and sitting under gurus and lamas, and, and there he received power. He received revelation, and then he brought it back, and then he launched his ministry. This kind of nonsensical notions, these are not necessary. When the gospel writers wrote those gospel stories of Jesus, and they didn't have to say anything about those 30 years, that was because there was nothing much spectacular about Jesus to write. That means Jesus was stuck for 30 years to be released for three years of ministry, 90% of his life. We may say he was enslaved to the situation, but was he? It is the beauty of Jesus that in those hidden years, in those most insignificant mundane years of his life, when people would say, oh man, that's like slavery. Jesus maximized his life, prepared his heart and his life so that he may be called by the Father when the time was right. And that's the Jesus that we need to follow. Not only the three years of spectacular, ministry-oriented Jesus, but 30 years of contentment in the given situation type Jesus. And so I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. And we're going to see some excerpts of Paul's statements here. Because Paul, more than anyone, spoke about this issue of contentment so well. Because he had to learn to be content. He had to be learned content with his celibacy. He had to be content as a tent maker. He had to be content as a, an apostle who who didn't quite fit into the category of the original 12. So he, he was like under suspicion oftentimes. Like, how did you get your commission? You weren't even with Jesus. You weren't one of the 12. But he had to be content with that. He, now with the Corinthian church, the very church that he helped to plant and, and nurture, they're rebelling against him. They're undermining his apostolic authority. And yet with all of these, he writes about contentment. Can you believe it? And to the church in Philippi, this was a very poor church, very difficult church. He's in the prison writing to the Philippians. And yet he's talking about contentment. So let's hear what Paul has to say in verse 1. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, stay firm. He says, stay firm. Firm in your faith. Firm in your faithfulness. Firm, solidly grounded. Don't shake. Don't wander about. Don't get all scatterbrained. 
Stand firm. And then in verses 4 to 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Your way about handling your situation will be testimony unto others. It will be visible to everyone around you. So show your gentleness. Manifest your gentleness. Let it be a testimony of your gentleness in Christ because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, joy and thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you lose that peace, you lost everything. Shalom, Jesus greeted us. You must keep that shalom in your heart, in your mind. Manifest that in your life. And then in verses 8 and 9, Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is saying to the Philippians, always keep your minds focused on the beautiful ways of the Lord. Beautiful things that the Bible is talking about in operating as truly holy people. And if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about it. You have to have a vision. Instead of just a vision for the future, vision to do something great and significant, have a vision of virtue. Vision of what it is like to be a holy person of God. And then he says, if you don't understand this concept, then look towards people like me and others who are living this out. There are tons of people in the body of Christ who are living that out. If we're just to do some internet research and, and go to the library and start reading some books or, or just purchase some books from Amazon.com like I do, start reading and you realize that a lot of people out there in the body of Christ who can be an example to us, that we can learn from them, we can receive from them, we can hear from them, we can see that Christ-likeness. And he says, put it to practice and the God of peace be with you. Again, he emphasized peace. God of Shalom. And then finally, in verses 11 to 13, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Whatever my situation, whatever my lot be, doesn't matter. That's not the issue. But if we make that an issue, then that becomes a problem. So many of us have learned to make issue of the problems. And that's the problem. That's part of the problem. The problem is not the problem. Problem is always our heart. Problem is always our mind. Problem is always our relationship with Christ. Problem is that we don't hear from the Lord. We hear from everybody else. And we are influenced and tempted because what everybody else is saying, but we don't go to the Lord. Would Lord do that? Would Lord despise you? Would Lord put you down? 
Lord say, go out into the pasture land and eat off of the grass because you're done with. And I always say, as a person who is preparing for retirement from the world system to be truly free in the Lord, I say, I will not buy that. Anything that the world has to say, dictating as to what I can do or what I cannot do. Because the Lord is not through with me yet. And I have to discover from Him as to what He wants me to do in the next season in my life. And same thing with you. And let's go to the Lord. And then the final blast of a word. I love this. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is faith? It is to believe in the Lord who is so much more powerful and mighty, capable, visionary, truly free-spirited. It's the Lord that we need to keep our eyes focused on and gain our strength from. And gain our hope. And gain the wisdom as to how to sort this matter out. So I'd like to just say it once more to each and every one of you. I know that all of us find ourselves discontented about our present situation in one form or another. I know you enough, each and every one of you. Me too. I have the same issue too in a different context. But what if instead of always thinking about what we're going to do next and what's the bigger contribution I can make? What's my vision and destiny? What if we ask this question? Where is Christ with me right now? It's not me doing this alone in this present situation. It's Christ with me. Holy Spirit with me. We're doing it together. And maybe Christ wants to do something in this present situation with me and you. And we're ditching all that. Because we're going after better vision and brighter future. And that's our doing. I'm just afraid if we continue to operate that way, we'll end up getting older and disillusioned more and more without any real sense of hope for the future. Because the time is running out. We don't have time to waste like that. we got to make every moment count. And the moment that is given to us is the present moment, the given situation. What we know crystal clearly, Christ wants us to do. That's what we need to be faithful in. Amen. 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 Let's pray.